Hi, this is Mary Kay's Positivity Podcast. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher and life coach. I'm also author of several self-help books. I have a special guest, Siri Ibrahim, and he is host of Thinking Like a Bank podcast. He's CEO of Financial Asset Protection, a financial planner, and also a real estate investor. So thanks so much, Siri, for joining us today and helping our audience. Hi, Mary Kay. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Sure. Well, I wanted to know, how did you end up in this field? <laughs> yeah, so it's a, I get that question a lot. It's, um, it's, it was a little bit of a twist. So the, the kind of the financial journey started when I was a senior in high school. I started, I had to take a class. I think we all had to take a class at that time. It was called Consumer Economics. Mm-hmm. And the class, the class was pretty much like a very basic business class. It was how to write a check. What is it? What is a mortgage? What is interest? What is a credit card? Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that class because I felt like it was very applicable to to growing up and and fulfilling a career and just pretty much um, getting to your financial goals. You need to understand how those basic things work. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make a career out of helping people reach those goals. So I got my MBA in business and I started to work at a couple of different insurance companies. I was mostly in sales and marketing. And I started to kind of bond with people and really talk and, and merge away from insurance and more into their finances, right? Like what's going on financially? What do they need to accomplish? How do we make this work for them? How do we protect what they're currently doing? And then I, I, I expanded on to that career, uh, became a financial strategist and also become a bank on yourself professional. So I'm part of the bank on yourself team. We help clients and real estate investors and business owners utilize the bank on yourself concept and that also led to the podcast thinking like a bank podcast which Mm -hmm. as you can probably tell by the title of it it's how to think like a bank we bring on attorneys and accountants and um, bankers and financial advisors financial advisors and we we share creative strategies as to how what to do with your money and how you could apply it to your daily life well so talk about the bank of yourself concept like how can you start thinking like that and operating your life as if you are a bank yeah um so so number one um consider this consider that on average one third of our money goes to servicing debt so one third of our money goes to servicing mortgages car notes credit cards personal loans student loans all types of debt so right so everyone is already in the banking industry as we speak Mm -hmm. now it's just about so so, so step one of thinking like a bank is considering that. And then step two would be, let's sit on the other side of the table, right? So we're constantly paying interest to lenders. How do we reverse that? How do we earn interest? And one of the ways is understanding how the bank on yourself concept works. There's a book called The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. I highly recommend the book. It talks, mm-hmm. it talks, it, it goes into great detail as to how one person could do that, how one, how one can do that without actually creating a bank, without actually being a lender, without having a degree in finance, none of that stuff. This is exactly, this is taking what you're currently doing and then changing the table so that way you are earning the interest rather than giving it away to others. Right. No, that sounds like great advice, especially like I was in the creative field, so I was never brought up. I mean, my dad was a lawyer, my mom was a teacher, and I just don't remember ever being introduced to finance concepts at all. So a lot of creative types I've noticed are kind of oblivious about money and and investing and debt. And so how do you establish 
smart habits early? Like what would be something you would suggest to start early first and foremost? Yes, starting early, keeping track, very tight records of your of your income, your expenses, your savings. And this right nowadays, you know, mid 20 towards the end of 2022, there's so much technology. It's overwhelming as mm-hmm. to how much technology is out there. Right. I actually believe it or not, for my personal self, I I just use a regular Excel sheet. That's all I use. I use an Excel sheet and every day I keep track of how much is in my checking, savings, uh, and other asset places, and then as far as how much my credit card bills are as of that day, and other debts that I have. And what happens now is it creates like a game. Like every day, I'm logging into my accounts and documenting how much I have for that. I'm taking a snapshot every day of of how much that is. And let's just say, for example, I have a credit card bill and it's like a hundred dollars, and I'll be like, all right, you know what? I could just knock that out right now because obviously, like based off of the checking, based off of other thing, other accounts, I could just pay that right now. So it, it creates this game now of building up cash and building up assets versus decreasing debts and then even increasing income being self-employed i have control over that so that's kind of like something that i i recommend everybody to do is keep very tight records tight not records but keeping track of your finances it helps understand where you're at every time i meet with a client we go through a financial analysis meeting we go through all of their finances and about 90 percent of those meetings clients tell me they've never gone through all of their finances at once like that like they did so it's a big problem right that leads to other problems it leads to utilize using more debt it leads to not having a savings plan it leads to a lot of people i work with um they're making good money right they they're making well over a hundred thousand dollars a year but they haven't saved and like the, they haven't saved a dollar in the last 10 years because they're constantly spending it they don't really it's mm-hmm. not on their mind right it's not right. on their mind so i think that keeping track of your the money going in and money leaving your pocket makes a big difference. That's like the basic first step I would recommend. And it sounds like too the way you say it's a game, like it's fun for you. Like when <laughs> is it ever finances ever fun for anyone? I love that like reverse. That's positive psychology, mm-hmm. you know. So that's great. And I have a feeling that a lot of people probably don't meet with financial planners because debt can feel overwhelming and depressing and like why relive it with a financial planner like the idea that you can get out ahead of it is mm-hmm. is just so far beyond reality to them I, I mean I would think that would be a big problem getting people in your door yeah definitely I, I've also I, I've, I, I myself was like that too where if I had a lot of debt at a certain time or my account was too low, I wouldn't want to look at it. I would want to avoid it. But that absolutely does nothing to your finances, right? You have to confront it. Mm-hmm. You have to realize it. You have to be realistic, bring it to reality, and then take realistic actions to solve those problems. Mm-hmm. There's no The first step to solving a problem is looking at the problem, identifying the problem, describing the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like really, really taking it in. That's the first step to solving a problem. And the same thing is true when you have a financial problem. You have to really absorb. You have to stare at it. You have to kind of analyze it, you know, and then you can start solving. You can start taking actionable steps, but you can't take actionable steps towards something you don't really understand yet or you haven't really fully analyzed. Right. So you've told us some habits and strategies to being a smart with your money, what are some of the pitfalls or mistakes people make or get that are really damaging for finances? Yeah, I think that one mistake that people make is they're making kind of decisions. And I was like this too, in in the moment, like today I'm feeling 
I'm not feeling that wealthy today, so I'm going to do certain things that could potentially make me feel more, more wealthy. Or then you get your paycheck. But then that goes out the window. You're, you're fine now. Today, you're fine. This week, you're good. And then next week, again, it go, it's, like, it's like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Rather, I think that it would help if you have principles that you stick to, right? You have goals and principles, and they're, they're as quantitative as possible, where you can measure them, you can see them, you could track them precisely. You could track them. Mm-hmm. As, as if somebody were to ask you, how much money did you make three years ago in March, April, May, three years ago? And then you'd be able to tell them exactly how much that was and the differences between this. So you understand quantitatively, you understand how much you're making, how much you're spending. And then you also have goals, right? So like um, you have certain principles where it's every dollar you make, five, 5% or five cents goes to a certain account. So 5% of all the income goes into a certain account. And that account you have, is a, it's like a one-way account. Money only goes into it. Money doesn't come out of it unless it's for an investment or emergency. So you start, you start kind of creating these rules for yourself. And a financial planner could help with this. A financial strategist could help with this. And then that brings me to my next point is that it helps a lot when you have a mentor and you have a coach. Same thing in the business world, right? Mm-hmm. Being an entrepreneur, one of the first steps to becoming an entrepreneur and staying as an entrepreneur, that's key, staying as an entrepreneur, not just starting off as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but staying as an entrepreneur is having a mentor, having a coach, <laughs> having somebody who's done exactly what you're doing at a, 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 a much further pace. Right. So that way you have something to mimic, you have something to model mm-hmm. and someone to learn from. Same thing in financial strategy, right? You need somebody to mentor you and coach you and help you kind of not necessarily find shortcuts, but find more efficient ways of doing certain things. And that's true for everything in life. When my daughters found a mentor in their prospective fields, like their career took off. And it was just being able to like bounce things off of somebody else that's more experienced and it makes complete sense. So Mm -hmm. Um, what do you think about failure? Yeah, I think failure, it's one of my favorite things to be transparent. I think it's a component. It's a, it's a prerequisite for success. Like it's a, it's a, it's a minimum requirement, right? You Mm -hmm. have to be able to go through it. You have to be able to handle it. Um, Success, in my opinion, is just one step closer to your goal. And I think that not handling, not handling failure um, prevents you from handling success, right? Mm -hmm. If failure is a hard thing to digest, then it's going to make entrepreneurship hard. It's going to make investing hard. It's going to make a lot of other things in life harder to accomplish. If you, can't really be comfortable with failure mm-hmm. um if you look at for example like i mean I, there's there's so many ways to answer this there's so many w- examples to give but like if you even the largest companies if you think about like apple right like iphone mm-hmm. you know the iphone is probably their thousandth failure that made it. you know they probably had so many other technologies and hardware and all these ideas that they had but mm-hmm. the iphone was the one that made it so it was all that failure that led to something so useful and so present today and and the same is true in every you know um thomas um edison's oh quotes. yeah i love that he, you know he it took him 10 you know he says that he didn't fail ten thousand times creating the light bulb he just found ten thousand ways that didn't work same yeah true same exact thing right it's yeah. like the entrepreneur who 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 starts a business who starts three companies and the all three of them fail and the fourth one is, is a success overnight and everyone will look at that overnight success and say Oh, you, you know, that was the easiest thing, you know, you had to do was just start a business. And it's like, no, not necessarily. I, ta- I had to also fail three times before. So all those failures before mm-hmm. um, progressed and transcended into the next level. They, they transferred into the next level, I know. hoping the next goal. 
I remember when I published my first book, I had all these people come out of the woodwork and say, hey, can I meet with you? I want to publish a book. <laughs> and I thought to myself, <laughs> I could wallpaper my house with my rejection letters. But yeah, sure. <laughs> I think they don't realize like all the effort that comes into that one book. <laughs> um, can you talk about investing in your business um, and saving cash? Oh, no, can't, I'll start over. Can you talk about investing in your business or saving cash? Which do you prefer and why? Yeah, this is a question I get a lot on podcasts and in, in, during client meetings. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that, so I would take a step back, right? So some businesses, right, um, are scalable in the sense that you can constantly keep reinvesting cash and keep growing your money. And some businesses are not as scalable. Some businesses take a much longer time to return that capital that you've invested into it. Mm-hmm. So there's pros and cons to both, right? The, the the benefits of reinvesting cash back into your business, typically you get tax deductions for that. So you're constantly buying new inventory, new services, new subscriptions, hiring new people. So you're saving on taxes that way in essence. And then you are essentially making more money with that right so like you might have you might create this formula in your business where every dollar you invest into it turns into 1.1 dollars three months later so that means that if you took that 1.1 dollars and reinvested that it would turn into 1.21 and then 1.35 and then so on so there's a reinvesting component but however not all businesses are like that and this is something that i made a mistake with too I thought once I found out about that little principle, I thought that that's 100% applicable to everyone in every business. And that's not true at all. Mm-hmm. You can actually lose a lot of money by just applying somebody else's principle into your own business. Right. So, and then the disadvantage to reinvesting back into your business is lack of liquidity, right? You're spending money again. You might not necessarily, the tax deductions might not necessarily be applicable to you, right? You're not making that much money to write off that much income. Mm-hmm. Again, this is another mistake business owners make is that they think that if something is tax deductible, that it's automatically a, the best fit for them. It's, you know, what's the point of deducting taxes if you're not even making money to begin with? You know what I mean? So, yeah. so that's, so those are the kind of things that there's pros and cons to both. I think maybe what if there's a way where you can do both? What if there's a way where you could save cash, grow your cash accounts, your liquid reserves, and be able to reinvest back in your business at the same time. And there is a way. If you read the book, The Bank on Yourself Revolution, there's a way if you if you um, read through the chapter. I forgot what chapter it was. I think it was like chapter nine of that book. It talks about using it. It talks about doing that, building up your reserves and then leveraging your reserves to reinvest back into your business. Oh, wow. That's great. Great advice because it, I, I remember when I... I ordered just kitchen cabinets from a company and out of the blue, they were supposed to arrive and the company goes out of business and uh, was out all these cabinets and money. And it turned out that the family members, the children of the original entrepreneurs were running the company instead of investing back into the company. They were just pocketing all their money and Mm -hmm. drove the company out of business. And it was one of the best companies around before. So, you you know, this this is really helpful advice. Like every company Mm -hmm. is really different when it comes to that. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, how do you help real estate investors? Yeah, so real estate investors have usually, um, look, one thing that a lot of real estate investors, I'm talking about active investors. So these are people who are actively engaged in real estate. There's a difference between passive that I'll get into in a second. But Mm -hmm. we're talking about active real estate investors. And one of the most important things, right, with 
investing in real estate, when you hear about somebody who has 100 real estate properties, it's not because they have all that cash, right, laying around and they just bought 100 real estate properties. It's leverage. Mm -hmm. And it's leverage on top of leverage. So they bought one property, they rented it out, they did a cash out refinance, they put it as a down payment on a second property, and so on. Mm -hmm. So they're constantly looking for capital. They're constantly looking for money from banks, direct lenders. This is where, like, kind of like a mortgage. You're directly borrowing from a bank leveraging your house as collateral and then it could be in the form of like secondary or alternative financing where you're borrowing from other people or other entities along with along with the banks so the point here is that real estate investors are constantly looking for liquidity they're constantly looking for different ways to access money to buy more properties because they're confident that once they acquire those properties and then make the necessary cosmetic changes or physical changes to the property, they, they re remodel them, they can increase the value and then they can borrow against that. So the way I help real estate investors is a couple of ways. One way, I help them find more liquidity. I help connect them to private money lenders and alternative financing to help them leverage more money than just going directly to a bank. That's one way. And the second way is I help them become their own source of financing. So part of the bank on yourself strategy is becoming your own source of financing. So what happens now, what happens if a real estate investor is tapped out on financing? They have all these properties, they're all been financed, refinanced. Banks like, banks like, you know what, we're not giving you any more money, you're over leveraged now. But they still want to keep buying more properties. What do they do in that situation? They could potentially tap into their bank on yourself type policy and be able to use that money to keep their adventure going, keep buying more properties and and continue their journey. So the wheel stay in motion when you become your own source of financing. You're not stopping because the bank is stopping you. So those are the ways that I help real estate investors grow their portfolios. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful, really smart. So how would you make money off of that type of arrangement? Do you pay, have a hourly fee or do you get a cut of the properties? What do you do for that? It, so I don't have any fees that I charge. Mm -hmm. um, the with bank on yourself i'm typically i'm typically paid after helping a client after the strategy is set up um, i'm paid through like an um, insurance company mm -hmm. and then on the lending side i'm typically it could be depends on the situation sometimes i'm not compensated at all if we don't have an agreement but it's, it's just in the best interest of the client mm -hmm. and it helps with others other plans we're working on i i might not get anything from that um or i might i might get commission for example for um connecting the client to the lender it mm -hmm. depends on the situation. Whatever the situation is, the client understands what's going on, right? right. I have to uh, be transparent with the client. I have to let the client know what's going on, how mm -hmm. I'm compensated, and how it's going to help the client. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, right now we are in, like, financial crisis, it seems. Yeah. And how do you experience growth regardless of the economic or market conditions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so part of using the bank on yourself strategy, right? The use of the bank on yourself strategy is using insurance companies as your as your financial reserves. Now, why would we do that? Well, if we look at the history of insurance companies, right? Most insurance companies, especially life insurance companies, they've mm -hmm. they've been in business for over a hundred years. They've existed through the Great Depression. They've made it through the Great Depression, through the Great Recession, through the dot com crash, through COVID. Through all these life cycle, all these cycles of downfalls that the economy has gone through, these insurance companies have stayed in business. And then to go further, like why is that? Why is it that insurance companies are constantly staying in business and they're constantly growing their reserves and becoming more profitable every year? 
it has to do with a couple of things. It has to do with number one, regulations, right? So they're typically regulated at the state level. They have to have reserves in place. So every year or every quarter, regulators go to insurance companies and they ask them, how much current policies do you have outstanding? What's your current liabilities? How much cash do you have? And they have to maintain reserves so that there's regulatory components to that. And then the other thing is to what they're investing into. So they're typically about 60 to 80% of the money that insurance companies have or that they're investing is invested into bonds. So these mm-hmm. are typically safer investments rather than the stock market or other volatile investments. And they're also loaning money out to other institutions and banks and real estate developers. And they have, that's another component of their profits. It goes to lending. So they're typically, in other words, investing mostly into safer assets, which protects the clients, it protects the the policies, it protects the, the claims they have to pay. So those are some of the ways that insurance companies are able to stay profitable. And when you own these accounts within the insurance companies, that's how they're able to grow your money regardless of market conditions. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, do you advise people on playing the stock, <clears throat> stock market? Or would you, is it, if somebody is a young, new, eager yeah. investor like you were in high school, what would you recommend for them to start playing the stock market and testing their knowledge and start the, just really jumpstart their interest in investing? Yeah, absolutely. So this is this is kind of like um, uh, uh, when I when every time I answer this question, it's a little bit I get kind of like uh, like an eyebrow raises. So <laughs> so uh, I get that I'm, every day. So <laughs> <laughs> so overall, I don't recommend the stock. I mean, I so so let me take that back. I will invest in the stock market because I don't like the volatility and the uncertainty of the stock market. However, I highly recommend that somebody at least at the bare minimum does invest in stocks. Why? Why is that? Well, because it's better than spending that money. I, I prefer learning, downloading an app. The right, you know, I remember I remember about ten years ago, mm-hmm. I wanted to invest in stocks and I didn't know how to. I had no idea how to. And I even I remember I went to Google and I searched how to invest in stocks and then it led to a video and there was a video of a guy talking and he was saying you know, a lot of people have this question, how do I invest in stocks? And then it was like, you contact your brokerage firm, you sign these documents. You, It was a process and it was a process you had to understand. Twenty In the year 2022 now, it's unbelievable how easy it is. It's, 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 it's buying stocks right now is as fast as buying something on Uber Eats to get delivered. It's, it's that quick now. You, you download an app, you fill out inside the app, the form, you click enter, they, they accept your account. And then you start buying stocks and you link your bank account and that's that easy. So I recommend young people do that. Uh, get in the habit of understanding what stocks are, investing in companies. Again, I don't really do that because I see it, I see it as volatility. Mm-hmm. However, I prefer... Especially now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially now, the stock market is negative now. So yeah. I recommend at least get in the habit of that. It's better to invest your money and lose it and get a, and gain experience than it is just to lose that money on materials. and, and Also, other and are, just are, test and, your intuition. Yeah. Like pick a yeah. stock, maybe don't invest the money yet and, and yes. watch it and follow it and see how it does. And if it does well, then you know, like trust your instincts. But if it doesn't do well, figure out why. But what app would you recommend if they are invested and they're like, I really want to try this. I've been testing my intuition on different stocks and I have pretty good read. 
what app would you recommend? Yeah, so I um, I would recommend just going to Google, type in best stock apps or best best apps to buy stocks, mm-hmm. and you know, you you have so many nowadays. It's so simple. Yeah, is Robinhood a good one? Have you heard that one? Robin Robinhood is what I think nowadays when you say buying buying stocks, especially mm-hmm. buying stocks from your phone mm-hmm. on your phone. Uh, I think Robinhood comes to comes to mind. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely I, I would try Robinhood. I'm not incentivized by them. I'm not. No, I know. <laughs> I just I just wanted to give people yeah. some ideas and strategies because some some people this would be completely foreign to, and I really yeah. wanted to demystify the whole financial process so that there's more confidence around finances and decision making and. Um, I grew up with a dad that was a spender. We'd be driving down the road and he would say, do you want a car? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And he would pull into the first lot and buy me a car. And I was like so excited that I I just picked the first one because I was scared he was going to change his mind. He was like really (laughs) impulsive. (laughs) So didn't have the greatest role model with that. (laughs) So, you know, you have to unlearn a lot of habits when you have a crazy dad. (laughs) But but my mom was a saver. She grew up Mm -hmm. very very poor and everything was about putting it away and saving and she took meticulous details on like you said keeping track excel spreadsheet and knowing every single dime that you're spending what's going in what's going out so she was a great role model for expenses and mm-hmm. and saving so it was kind of opposites attract i guess <laughs> But anyway, um, well, I really appreciate all this helpful information for our audience. I know they do, too. Can you tell us how they can get in touch with you or learn more about what you do? Obviously, they can check out your podcast. Do you have a website? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So they can go to thinkinglikeabank.com. Um, they could download the free ebook that we have there. They could schedule a free call. They could listen to the podcast, connect with me on LinkedIn, send me an email. All that could be done from one website. It's thinkinglikeabank.com. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you think would be helpful for our audience to know? Yeah, I mean, there's hope, right? You don't have to, you know, just because even, you know, we, technically we are in a recession right now. doesn't mean you have to lose money. It doesn't mean you can't make any money. You can't save it. You know, there's hope. There's a lot of things you can do if you just know about those things out there. Right. And taking advantage of yeah, a market yeah. like this. When things are in a deep dive, you can pick up a lot of great real estate. That's so, a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point, I mean, yeah. I think that the optimist always makes out in these type of situations. So. I am exactly big believer in optimism. So, well, thank you so much. I've loved talking with you. And Likewise. I wish you great financial success. You too, Mary Kay. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Please find a comfortable position for a short meditation. Now that we've gotten those helpful hints about finances, I hope you'll take this time to really release any negative thoughts or worry or fear around finances. Recognize that you can be confident and even in your worst moments, you can turn it around. You have the ability just with your mind, just believing that there are solutions and that even when 
the economy might not be going your way, there's great opportunity in that as well. Gently close your eyes. And you can place your hands on your lap or let them open up to the sky. No matter where you are, just breathe in for a count of five. Five, four, three, two, one. Breathe out for a count of five. Five, four, three, two, one. Breathe in. Five, four, three, two, one. Breathe out. Five, four, three, two, one. Just let your thoughts come and go. Feel the breath coming through the nose, all the cool air. And then exhale the warm air. Let it leave your body. Allow your muscles to relax on the exhale. And with each breath, relax your muscles, the muscles in the face, soften the eyes, relax your lips. The tongue presses onto the roof of the mouth. Let the breath relax your body and mind. And just clear your mind of all thought. You might notice thoughts still popping in to distract you. But don't judge them. Just continue breathing in and breathing out. And notice that there's a shadowy cloud of darkness around you. And you're going to just beam your light. So imagine, like, visualize, like, love and light filling your heart. Now imagine that light beaming out from your heart, touching everything around you. Allow that light to expand even further. Imagine it reaching into the universe and beyond. Maybe you see like the pitch black in the universe and your light is opening up the skies. So we're going to just start to pull ourselves out of the darkness, the cloud of darkness that is around you and imagine a staircase and then slowly start to step up the staircase. Start to climb the staircase with a calm, quiet confidence. And notice that as you energetically pull yourself out of that cloud of darkness, you're drawing towards the light. Your energy expands. Think of yourself as a lantern or a beacon of light flashlight. That is how you are going to project yourself into the world. Shining your light. Let the light draw you up the stairs. Breathing in and breathing out with each step climbing up the stair. And now all you see is the light. In this light, you're not your body, you are free. And this light is filled with 
love and pure consciousness, happiness, the truth of who you are, and just bask in this light. <clears throat> Imagine the light shining down into your face. You are well loved. You embody kindness. You are powerful and all knowing. <clears throat> you are peaceful. You are connected to your higher self. You are magnificent. And you are illuminated by this brilliant light. So take in a few breaths to observe what you see. As you are connecting with your higher self, notice, does your higher self have a message for you? Be still and wait for a message or guidance. Take in a deep breath, long breath in. All miracles are created and seen in this light. Every time you're in any situation, social, financial, athletic, work, situation, shine your light, visualize being that lantern beaming out, and the lightness will literally squash the darkness. It won't exist. Illuminate all around you with your brilliant light. And notice how people respond, how opportunities come your way, because it'll shift your consciousness into a positive mindset. Now gradually bring your awareness back into your body, your strong, beautiful body. Give your fingers and toes a little wiggle. And then whenever you're ready, Come back to waking consciousness. Be sure to subscribe to Mary Kay's Positivity Podcast, and I hope you'll join us again soon. Namaste.